0: What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of the Under the Hood podcast. I'm Jonathan Hood. I hope that you're going to have a great weekend as I record this on the 19th of September, early Saturday morning, getting ready to do Chicago's College Tailgate. If you're a college football fan and know of one, tell them to check out Chicago's College Tailgate. I host it with my friends Chris Bleck and Adam Abdallah every Saturday before Notre Dame games or Saturday afternoon on ESPN 1000. Hope that you get a chance to check that out. And of course, my morning show that I host with David Kaplan, Cap and Jay Hood, every morning between 7 and 10. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Hope you're checking it out for the best in Chicago, sports talk and everything else in between. We always have a fun time on that show. Hope that you've been able to listen and love to get your feedback on the show as well. It's always totally interactive, so we're having a lot of fun with that. Had a lot of terrific guests on as we get ready for Bears Giants Week and uh, looking forward to seeing what the Bears do uh, in that matchup against the Giants. Can they make it 2-0? I think they can. I think they can win on Sunday, but it's going to be an empty soldier field, which is going to be so weird, man. So we'll uh, look forward to Sunday. And of course, me being a huge Chicago White Sox baseball fan, look, I, I'm a South Sider. I still live on the South Side of Chicago in South Shore. And... I still root my butt off for the White Sox. It's the most important team in the city for me, and they clinched a berth to the playoffs on Thursday. And it's just so dope. It's completely dope to see the White Sox in this position. And the Cubs are going make to make the playoffs too. And even though it's a shortened season, doesn't matter to me. We're so few and far in between when it comes to postseason play. Just to see the Cubs and Sox in the postseason, be very interesting to see. But as a Sox fan, hey, I'm rooting my balls off to see exactly what the Sox are going to do. I think they're a year early. But you know what? It might be a crapshoot. The whole thing is roll the dice. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. uh, On this edition of our Saturday podcast, I'm going to reach out to a friend. Because I want to talk some NBA with one of my best friends. Not just in business, but one of my best friends. Talk to one of my best friends about the NBA right now on the Under the Hood podcast. I told you I have a friend on the line that's going to talk to me about the NBA. He's always been there for me, Nick Friedel, from ESPN.com as we talk about the NBA playoffs. Hello, Nick. Hello, my man. There we are, man, the heat as we record this up two games to none. Oh, look, the doorbell's ringing. Oh well, they'll have to wait. Uh, the Heat are up two games to none. Uh, Timmy, it's
1: it's Jimmy. he's crashing the party as always. He's
0: crashing not only the Celtics party but my home apparently. Um, uh, nothing like recording at home. Uh, so the Heat are up uh, one to uh, two nothing as we record this. Uh, can we go back to? when you first started covering Jimmy? Because I think it tells a great story. You have the best perspective of, of, of this. Jimmy, when he first came into the league where he is now, can, go back to his early days. What do you remember most about Jimmy?
1: Well, the thing that that strikes me off the top, hoodie is we are doing that draft show the night Jimmy got uh, picked by the Bulls. And I just remember how emotional he was. I mean, Jimmy was crying because... Of all the things in his life that had brought him to that moment, I, I, I think about it now. I, I'm, I'm laughing because all the Bulls PR people were all upset because <laughs> he had Jimmy on the phone before they did.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And and I just remember
1: how much that meant to him because so many people in his life for a variety of different reasons were like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not going to make it. And he used all of that as fuel, and then he gets in the league. And I remember that first year, uh, Rip Hamilton, uh, the veteran shooter, the Bulls had signed. He he said that Jimmy used to shoot the ball like a dart because it had no arc at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy's talked about this over the years, but he kept going to Tibbs and saying "I want to play. I want to play and Tibbs." Like, uh, 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 you know, you're not ready and. There was that game against the Knicks, and now this is—I mean, this is a deep cut from years and years ago. But he—he he played for just a few minutes, and they stuck him on Carmelo, and they said, "Go get him." And he—he uh, he actually did pretty well. But in the beginning, those first couple years, it was like Jimmy Butler. What? What's his ceiling? All right, he could be a defensive stopper for ten years. The guy you plug in off the bench, and and he uh, gives you some solid minutes and. And and that's probably about it because his offense just wasn't there. So
0: so so a, so a lengthy Keith Bogans Tony Allen type. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There was uh, I'm thinking of another moment now. There was a Laker game,
2: I think it was in Chicago, and and they they did the same thing. They they threw Jimmy out on Kobe, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and they were like, "Hey, have fun, do the best you can." And then uh, I think the Bulls won that game. I don't remember what year it was, but. Come back in the locker room, and if I remember this right, the, the, some of the guys in there were going, "Kobe stopper, Kobe stopper," yeah. and, and and Jimmy was like, "No, no, 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 no," because he, he is out of all the guys I've met who have come through the league that I've dealt with uh, on a on a one to one basis, hoodie Jimmy Butler might be the proudest guy of all. He he believes in himself. So, so much. And to make it on that level, you have to. But my point is, so many people have told Jimmy, you can't do it, that he just turns it all into fuel. And uh, there are are a variety of smaller stories over time uh, that we could go back through. But it is a credit to Jimmy that he has turned himself into this kind of player. And the work that it took, I remember... uh, Bulls coaches back in the day would be like, this, this kid just lives in here. He lives in the gym. He's putting in the work all the time. Uh, so the, there were all these different issues with the attitude over time. The ego got bigger. Okay. But at the core of Jimmy Butler
0: is a work ethic, the likes of which I had just haven't seen that much over the years. Okay. So with the Bulls, did you see any signs of leadership like you're seeing now with Miami? Uh, he tried. He
1: tried in his own way he hoodie at that point though jimmy just did not know how to be a leader he did not know how to to do it i think he was trying to learn on the fly i've been going back through all these old quotes i putting together some stories from and one of the most honest quotes i've gotten in regard to jimmy didn't even come from jimmy himself came from joe king and the backstory there is Jimmy and Joe Keen were so tight uh, those first few
2: years when Jimmy was coming in as a rookie I and mean, Joe respected the hell out of Jimmy
1: for the work he put in. And there, then over those last few years, their relationship started to fray because Joe was the leader of the group and Derek was the star of the group and Jimmy started playing more. He got paid and, and he was like, hey, I. I'm putting in all this work. I'm putting in the time. I want to be the guy. And Jimmy and Joe Keene, remember, Hoodie? I mean, this again. This is years ago, but there was so much hype around. Oh, Jimmy and Derek. You know, they're not getting along. Right. The reason, the core reason, those teams had started to fray at the very end. Of it, I mean, what it was Tibbs in the front office stuff was was awful, and that kind of hovered over everything. But uh, it was the Jimmy and Joe Keene their friendship. Their relationship was kind of broken, and I, I think over the last couple of years it's gotten healed, and they've talked about it, uh, and they, they've been working out together, and they're back on good terms. But the, that last year, to Jimmy and Joe Keene, man, they got into some some heated arguments, uh, and 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 Joe was just kind of like, "Where? What happened? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Where did you go?" And and the the Joe Keene quote that sticks with me the most is he says. You know, Jimmy went from being the last guy on the bench, the last guy to the face of the team. And I can't think, in all the years you and I have been covering the league, there's so much interest in Jimmy Butler because there are so few stories like his. His story is unique to himself uh, on so many levels. But to go from the guy at the end of the bench who was beloved inside that organization to go to the face of the team, that's a rise you just don't see. And I think he had to go through a lot of growing pains to get to where he is now. Uh, and and I, I would say this, too, because I hear a lot from a lot of my friends in Chicago. They say, oh, my gosh, the Bulls screwed it up again. When I look back at that time, this is now three years ago or so, of, of why they moved Jimmy when they did – uh, they just didn't believe that he could be that number one guy. They didn't believe he could be that number one leader. That that year with, with Dwayne Wade and, and Rondo was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in, uh, in so many ways, the Bulls did the Heat such a gigantic favor because they gave Wade the contract that Miami didn't want to give him. And and Wade really prepped Jimmy for Miami a couple years later. Uh, so, uh, But in that moment, Look, I, I I feel like I've talked to all the the powers that be, the decision makers, and and they just the people are like, oh, they could have built around Jimmy. You have to understand, if you give Jimmy a Supermax in that moment, I I think it was something like two hundred and twenty four million dollars. That's yeah. the Supermax. Wow, yeah, that's what it would have taken, and the Bulls just did not feel like they could build what they needed around Jimmy. And uh, uh, the Bulls deserve blame certainly because they didn't have the culture that Miami did that, that could have gotten Jimmy on the right track. Uh, but, but Jimmy uh, deserves blame as well for, for having it break down the way it did because the leadership that he was trying to show, uh, it didn't come across in Chicago the way it's coming across now, and you could argue, all right, well, the roster's different, and you have guys that around Jimmy that are different. That's all true, but the only way I think Jimmy gets to this point in his career is being within the culture of the Miami Heat. That's the team.
0: As Bleck tweeted, imagine trading Jimmy Butler for Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and Laurie Markkinen. It is one of those things, though, Nick. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you're right, you're right. They didn't think that Jimmy's going to be that guy, but... Here's what's interesting. I remember a lot of our late-night shows that we did together, those Bulls buzz shows. And for those that don't remember, there's a time where ESPN 1000 carried the Bulls and I would do the post-game show and Nick would come on uh, wherever city that he was in. But I remember you saying that, you know, Joe Keem and other Bulls were saying, what happened to that humble kid from Tumble, Texas? Do you remember you saying that?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: that, it, it, I mean, looking back on this now, buddy, that... I don't think there was one thing that pissed off the organization more, not just the players, not just the front office. Then Jimmy, I I cannot stress this enough. He was beloved uh, for those first few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, he, he worked his, his butt off. Uh, He had this happy go lucky attitude. I mean, I'm talking about from, uh, the people in promotions, the people in, in PR, everybody loved Jimmy. And then there was that shift because Jimmy would always say, oh, you know, I'm not a star. I'm just uh, a hardworking, humble kid from from Tomball, Texas. That's that's what I am. And the reality was, as Jimmy kind of grew in stature in the league in uh, and, and he saw what else was out there, uh, he, he enjoyed the trappings that came with being a, a star in the NBA. I mean, Hoodie, you and I have talked about this for so many years, but you've got to remember that these guys are human beings. Yeah, for well, sure. <laughs> they are, I think that gets so lost, especially uh, with with how people view guys in the league. I, mean, I, I, I remember Derek openly getting emotional he's crying and people are like derrick rose cries like derrick rose is a human being joe keen noah is a human being jimmy butler is a human being and i say all that because jimmy gets to a point where he's like hey i i have i've worked my ass off for this moment i was the one that was putting in all this time and i was the one that became uh, you know what I've become and if I want to hang out with Mark Wahlberg who introduces himself on a movie set to me and we develop a friendship hey that I, I can do it what, what I want uh, and I think over time the the image the narrative at least internally of Jimmy being this humble kid that kind of disappeared and, and he developed a, a much bigger ego and so people who had followed him especially in the organization
2: for years were kind of like well, what the hell happened to Jimmy right <laughs> now, now he's like
1: he's like so many other guys who sign a big deal and you know they, they kind of go to a different place and Jimmy's sitting there saying hey I've done everything you guys have asked of me I am the one who has turned myself into this kind of player and I'm the one uh, that's that's done what I've needed to do to this get to this stage of, of my career and I can do what I want and, and that's where the shift started to happen, where uh, that the attitude uh, and it, it happened over time, but it happened pretty quickly. Once uh, he started putting up the numbers and playing those huge minutes and, and he felt that pressure that comes with being the guy in uh, the kind of the trappings of celebrity. It was right around those few seasons, the end of Tibbs, the beginning of Hoiberg, where the shift, at least in Chicago, started to take place.
0: The humble kid from Tumble, Texas, now has is doing Michelob Ultra commercials. Wow. And singing Hall & <laughs> yeah, But that's so Jimmy, right? That's so perfect. When I yeah. first saw that, I'm like, yep, that's it right there. Like, I don't know any brother else, who, what other brother in the NBA is like, you know what, I'm good with a nice bottle of Michelob right now and singing Hall & openly. You know, yeah, like it, and, well, hoody, This
1: is the guy who would sit in the locker room and try on his cowboy boots, and he would, he he would he would say, "Hey, you know," I, and this this all ties back into the, the the Tom Ball part of the conversation. But Jimmy, to his credit, <clears throat> was never afraid to be anybody but Jimmy, and I think what we've seen over time is, especially in how he he, he discusses what he wants from himself what he wants from teammates is i remember he told me one time he's like i I, I let my voice be heard and sometimes people are gonna like it and sometimes they're not but it's my voice you know that was his point uh and that that kind of stuff all the the signs were always there that uh that if jimmy got to this point that that things things would kind of uh, be a little different than what they had been over time. And I think it was part of his growing process where he had to get comfortable uh, with what was going on and what he wanted to say. But, but your point is dead on because all the, the, the ability to sing & Oats in a beer <laughs> commercial and, and the ability to, to not care as much uh, about what's going on around him and stay focused on the work. Uh, All that stuff was built into him in those early Chicago years.
0: So I'll skip over the Minnesota time because I think it's very clear what happened in Minnesota, where you had Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins that were inflexible. They were never going to let Jimmy lead. Jimmy wanted. It wasn't like Jimmy was trying to just torch the organization, but there was a type of mentality that Jimmy came in there with with leadership, and those kids were not there for. Even with Tom. Uh, Thibodeau being the head coach, so I'll go to Philadelphia. So you would think with an already talented cast that Jimmy would fit in, but that didn't seem to work for him before he came to Miami, right?
1: No, no. Uh, I think the problem for Jimmy with Philly Hoodie, and it's the one stop in his career up that I just didn't see him that much. In Chicago, I, I lived it with him all those years. And in Minnesota, I was up there a lot. Yeah. Especially in that first season. But in Philly, when you're watching from a distance and you're talking to the the people that know him the best, I think the issue was that he he gets to a situation where Embiid and Simmons are already kind of entrenched. They're in place. They're they're the guys. And Jimmy at that point in his career he had he wanted it so badly I mean, look, he never wanted to leave Chicago. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be there, but he wanted to be the face, uh, and he struggled in that role uh, that season with Wade and and Rondo. And then he gets to Minnesota, and he's not the face there because Towns and Wiggins are already there. And he knew early on—I'd add that quickly about the Timberwolves part. He knew early on that those guys, oh my <laughs> were, God, we're not—we're not putting in the work that that he would want in as far as. Building a, a title contender, so that marriage was destined absolutely for divorce early, uh, and I think that was one of the the biggest issues for Tibbs is that he didn't recognize it uh, as quickly as he should have. Uh, but but so he gets the Philly, and again you're, you're going back through the timeline. Early on, he clashed with Brett Brown, and it he, he, he was like, well, what's going on offensively? Brett Brown just didn't didn't earn that trust that Eric Spolster has now, and the Tibbs had in the beginning in Chicago for Jimmy. Uh, and then on top of that, his relationship with Embiid got stronger over time. You, you never heard the same stuff with Simmons, though. Uh, I'm not sure if they're on good terms, bad terms, but you just never heard that they were they were that close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think. Once he started playing in Philly, he had his moments, certainly at the end of games. But when push came to shove uh, last summer and he started thinking about where he wanted to go, he'd been listening to Wade now for two years discussing the culture and, and how things would fit. And uh, I think he in his heart of hearts, I think he just knew that Miami was probably the place for him. Uh, and, and it just... It worked timing wise, salary cap wise. The stars aligned for him uh, to make that move.
0: So now, now he's with the Miami Heat and an opportunity to get to the finals. And you, you go back, Nick, through the last few years of the Miami Heat before they became put in this spot. So I recall this like it was yesterday. There was a forty-one and forty-one team that I thought was excellent. They, I mean, they didn't go anywhere, but it just the point is that it was different because they had White side, and you had James Johnson, and you've, you you know you got Drogic, who's a was a solid player. But I still, again, you gave you know you give Spoelstra a lot of credit, and I just kind of look at and at Bam Adebayo, who was a terrific player for them. All he needed was someone to lead him. He, you knew he was already talented. Drogic has already been with the team for a for a while. But in Tyler, heroes added on. But Jimmy was just the the missing ingredient for the Heat, for them to get into this point because they are more together than we've seen since the LeBron era of of the Heat basketball. Cody, in my opinion, this is the this team is the embodiment
2: of Pat Riley's vision when he came to Miami more than any other team he's had there mm-hmm. in in twenty five years because
1: this team has to rely on things other than just being more talented than everybody else. I thought that was, as far as statements go, that was Jimmy's most honest statement after Game 2 of this Celtics series. He says, look, we're going to have to beat them in other ways because on paper they're more talented than we are. <laughs> and you go, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're you're probably very right, but this is why uh, Spolster has been open about it. Uh, the, the players have talked about it, but... This is why that culture, uh, it fits the moment, it fits the bubble. Like, do Do I think that the Heat are making these kind of moves in a normal world this season with the roster that they have? No. I think they're really good, but I think they're probably a piece away. Uh, but but this, this moment in time where it's just all basketball all the time and you have to be mentally strong enough not only to prepare for, for basketball, but to live in this bubble for potentially three months. It suits what Riley and Spolstra have built. So when you look at that roster, I mean, let's go back in time. What what drove Jimmy crazy in Chicago? He felt like the younger guys, the Miritiches and the Dugs, and, <laughs> uh, man, like uh, Jaron Grant, like that, that whole group. That was there. That you know, there were times he didn't feel like that group was putting in the amount of work needed, or or was talented to enough to do what he wanted them to do. You get to Minnesota. We touched on Towns and Wiggins. I mean, they they were the embodiment of really all all the Jimmy can't stand, like the the top picks that were coddled all the way through, that he didn't feel like listened enough and, and were willing to put in the work. Well, you get to Miami, <laughs> and you've got all these guys who have have either come out of nowhere, like the Duncan Robinsons or Haslam's from years gone by, uh, who's kind of this the the wise
2: father figure uh, of that roster, or or like the Tyler heroes who
1: are he's a, a first round pick, but I mean. Jimmy was working out with him. He invited him to Chicago. I remember Hero told me that Jimmy invited him to Chicago. And Hero gets to these workouts early in the morning. He's like, whoa, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Jimmy respected the fact that not only... Uh, did he work out with him? Because I remember, like, remember those videos from the beach from the years back with Doug and Jimmy. It was like, you know, Rocky Three reincarnated. They're jumping around doing these workouts and thinking, oh, maybe Doug will, will be better when he comes back and Jimmy will respect him more. He just didn't deliver on the floor. And the, the difference is that Hero has. And Goran Drogic, he, he has delivered repeatedly. I mean, on top of the work, the work, and that is at the core of everything Jimmy and the Heat do to gain respect in Jimmy Butler's mind, you got to deliver in the biggest moments. And there are there's a roster full of guys that have done so. Uh, I, I look at guy at a guy uh, that he was a college teammate of with Jay Crowder. I mean, they had and they had their issues, behind the scenes, like they uh, they they had. Uh, had uh, some some problems in their relationship over the years. Crowder gets to Miami. Crowder has been great. Mm-hmm. He's just been great. Uh, but it's another guy on top of the work. You gotta make it happen on the biggest stage. And Crowder has hit shot after shot after shot in the postseason, and I think he he is he respects the fact uh, that he's been through all kinds of different stuff with him. So. When you look at what they're piecing together and then Bam bio, I, I just don't think people understand how good he's going to be on top of how good he is now, but how good he he will be in the next couple of years. When you have that core in place and you have Jimmy finally comfortable knowing that a team wants him to be the face uh, and the leader for everything they do, you've got their answers as to why this team is doing what they're doing now.
0: Um, so I if I'm listing Nick the talented players that are left in these final four, ah, Denver's in the final four. It's gotta be a nightmare for the league. Ah, they wanted LA <laughs> versus LA so bad. Yes. God yes. by the way, the other day I took I, I just took a, a sledgehammer to Doc and to Kawhi and Paul George, by the way, because You got to. Yeah, yeah. you got to. See, here's what here's what's funny. If LeBron would have shot under thirty five percent in fourth quarters in that spot it would be front page news. It would lead every you know sports talk show like, "Oh, LeBron underachieves, he loses," but because Kawhi, where you know, is quiet and wears hospital shoes on the floor, no one says anything about Kawhi, right? But same thing with Doc. Doc. What was the stat that Carmen gave me? Was it eight, eight, um, eight times failing in game seven? as a head coach, something like that. Like, I mean, it's it's been a mess. And, like, that Clipper team was supposed to be in that matchup, L.A. versus L.A. Everyone wanted it, and Denver snuck in there, down 3-1, and took it. So it's a nightmare, that's for sure. Well, I,
1: I'd say this, though, as far as the Clippers hoodie, I, and you and I have talked about it all season, I thought they were the team. Yes. Not only did I think they were going to be in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, I just thought they were a cut above everybody else when they were healthy. But it's another reminder that when you have issues on and off throughout the season, whether it's injury, concerns, uh, or other problems, they don't just get fixed when the bright lights of the postseason hit. And the Clippers were this year's example of that, kind of like the Celtics last season. Ah, the Celtics will get it together. Kyrie uh, will will be healthy, and they'll be rolling. No, the Celtics might have had more talent, but they they just couldn't piece it all together the right way. So uh, the the Clippers' collapse is stunning to me. Stunning. Although when you look at the context clues, maybe it shouldn't have been as much. I would just say this on the Nuggets. I as we sit here now, I do not think that magic can happen for the third time no. and they're going to find a way to suddenly beat the Lakers. But the amount of mental toughness a basketball team on this level has to have to come back from a three, one deficit in general is immense because how many times over the years have we seen teams go down 3 one? They're like, we're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the one, two, three, King Coon. It's, it's over. They, they want to go home, get on with their lives in the middle of a bubble in a pandemic to do that twice, no matter what the do, they do, if if the Nuggets go out and get swept, it doesn't matter to me in this sense. Michael Malone and that team deserve such a gigantic amount of credit for getting to this point in the fashion in which they have uh, because it could have been so easy for them. Especially, I mean, they were down big to the Clippers a few times uh, in games five and six. Just fold, be done, go home. They didn't, they kept fighting, and they have earned a lot of respect around the league for that.
0: And and as we wrap up the Jimmy conversation, Nick, so if we're looking at LeBron and AD being the two of the top players left in the bubble, is Jimmy's in your top five, or is he number three on that list out of the the final four?
1: Oof. I think Jason Tatum is going to be awesome, Hoodie. Yeah, uh, and if I were building a team, you, you take Jason Tatum. But if you had to win one game and you couldn't take LeBron, I I probably take Jimmy Butler. One game because I think that he he's just he's playing on a different level than I've ever seen him, and I I I add this to the the context of, of the conversation on Jimmy. The other day I'm on the Zoom, and I say to him, Jimmy, you've always prided yourself on confidence, but do you think in this moment, especially in the last few weeks in the postseason, that even you are playing with a little more confidence than usual? And he, he looks at me and he gives me the, oh, no, no, no. it's I, I'm always confident. I'm more confident in my guys. And the funny part was Malika, who's obviously in the bubble, mm-hmm. she's standing there watching this all take place because she's right in front of where the screen was. And she texts me and Bam, out of bio, is just off to the side. And Bam, Bam hears the question and he hears Jimmy start to answer. He goes, oh, yeah, he's more confident. Oh, yeah, he knows. <laughs> like, so everybody knows that, that Jimmy is just at a different level. And he has always been motivated. This goes back to the beginning of our conversation on people doubting him and saying, oh, you know, he's good, he's just not that good. Or the team is all right, they're just not to the level where they can contend for a title. He is at a different point than I think anybody besides Jimmy Butler thought he could get to. And that's why, a huge reason why, I think they're having so much success right now in this moment.
0: So the Bulls are still looking for a head coach. Uh, and hats off to Karnaschovas because he was part of that Denver group, right? So, you know, that's a team that's in a a different level than I thought they would, so hats off to him. Now he's with the Bulls with Mark Eversley. Do you have a short list of names that you think that should, uh, would would mesh well with this Bulls roster?
1: The name that kept popping up instantly, Hoodie, uh, was Udoka. You've seen his name pop up uh even more in the last few weeks the guy i always thought would be the best fit was adrian griffin Uh, but i know there's questions uh around the league right now about what's going on off the floor his wife had some uh some some tweets that caught everybody's attention so i think uh that's got to get figured out first but the name at least in the last few days that has uh, definitely grown in prominence is Wes Unseld Jr. Mm-hmm. and he's with Denver. Uh, is knows him; has known him for a while. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, after that, after they won Game Seven, Woj tweeted out, "Hey, <laughs> you know, uh, Karnasovas is, is, is known Unseld Jr. a long time. He's kind of been tapped by Michael Malone as the." The uh, the guru defensively it sounds like in Denver. I mean, all those things aren't aren't an accident. When when you have waited this long, if you're the Bulls, and you have the relationships that the new front office has with a guy who is gaining more prominence nationally, uh, that's where it, it just appears like maybe the stars are are coming together uh, to make that decision. But you got to just trust that. Uh, you, you've done your work, and you've called around the league, and, and you, you find the guys that you think work the most. I mean, I, I just, I, hoodie, I give Carnasovis a lot of credit though, because uh, I know our, our main cap was saying, There was no chance Jim Boylan was was uh, <laughs> coming back next year. That's just that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I remember talking to my. So my friends in the organization, they're like, "Man, we don't know. We, you know, we don't know what's going to
2: happen." And uh, for for
1: our to be as forceful as he was in in making that decision happen, uh, that shows me if you're a Bulls fan that things might finally be on the right path again. Because you've got to stand, You've got to have somebody who's going to stand up and, and say, "Hey." can't go on the same way. So in that regard, no matter who the final choice is, the Bulls are already on a, pa- a better path having cleansed themselves from uh, for, from the Boylan regime and what that represented.
0: All right, a few names for you. Just give me your initial reaction. I'm going to give you a few names. So what if it was Billy Donovan?
1: I think that if it's Donovan... The move 1A is to sign Joe Keem to a Udonis Haslam type heat contract. And if you sign Donovan and you sign Joe Keem, as far as a PR,
2: mm-hmm. a PR hit, yeah. that's about as good as it could be. I Look, I like Billy Donovan. I think he's a really good coach. In this
1: moment, do I think he's the right fit for a Bulls team that just isn't good? No. Probably not. I, I would pick Billy for a, a more veteran group that's ready to win now. But if they hired him, uh, I think that would be a good move.
0: Kenny and Atkinson.
1: <sighs> Kenny Atkinson. I, I I think he's a good coach. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that would be a, necessarily a bad
2: hire. But I, I'd say this, and this goes on, this goes not just for
1: Kenny Atkinson, Hoodie, but anybody else that we talk about here or moving forward. If I've learned anything in the last couple of years being around the warriors, it's that the reason that they work the way that they work as an organization is because everybody is on the same page at all times. Steve Kerr and Bob Myers have talked openly about the, the friendship, the relationship that they have and why that strength has carried them so well. I say that to say, not that you can't hire somebody that you don't know very well I say that tying back into the the unsell thing if you believe that you have a guy that you have a pre-existing relationship with I would always lean that direction because there's a familiarity there that you don't have to create out of thin air Uh, so I think that in the end Uh, Or or with Eversley uh, in Udoka, uh, there's a Philly connection there. I think that would really help any organization kind of hit the ground running.
0: I like some of these, um, these names that you mentioned. I keep hearing Dan Craig, and I'm learning more about Dan Craig by the day. In that Miami Heat culture, starting the video room like Nick Nurse and Eric Spolstra. I mean, I, I don't know if they have a relationship with him, but I hear about Dan Craig. I hear about Darvin Ham, the Bucks' assistant. Uh, young Silas, the assistant coach for uh, Stephen Silas, the assistant coach for the Mavericks. So there's some names out there, along with U- Udoka, as you mentioned, from Philly.
1: Well, and, and here's the other key. I'm sitting there, and I think the relationship really does help. But, Hoodie, nobody, nobody had a stronger relationship than Gar and Fred. And we saw how that thing imploded. Well, right. So there's 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 an argument to be made on
2: on both sides. Always, uh, I just think it is crucial, especially when you have a a new front office, when you have a, a whole new staff that is trying to put their imprint
1: on things. That relationship to start is huge, uh, and so there are a lot of good young coaches out there. Uh, but, again, this is where you have to trust that you've done the due diligence that you need
0: uh, in order to to take that step and be successful. Well, my friend. Oh, last thing. And I appreciate your time. Very last thing. I want to ask you about the San Francisco Warriors, Golden State Warriors type of culture. I was on Fanatics the other day. I was just looking at gear, just going through it. Man, The, the Warriors have so much gear. And this is something I've never talked to you about regarding – the, how the fan base is in the Bay Area, San Francisco and Oakland. Because, like over the years when I was a kid, when in the Jordan years, you know, they'd go to play the Warriors at that old arena, and the Warriors weren't very good, but yet it was sold out full. I mean, it was so into the games. And I always thought, man, that team's not very good, but the, but the crowd is really into it, the mix of 49ers and Raider fans coming across the, um, the Golden Gate Bridge, I guess. Uh, and to to be part of something special, what what's that? What is that like out there? Because as I was looking at the gear, I was like, man, there's like fifteen different type of hats, fifteen different type of t shirts and jerseys with the city, San Francisco Warriors, Golden State Warriors, old school. What what's that like? Just walking down the street and seeing Warrior fans.
1: It's all over the place, in hoodie, the passion. That the fan base has for this team is unlike anything I've seen in the league uh, on a consistent basis. That's strong.
2: And, uh, you and I know full well how many Bulls fans there are. How many fans are are uh, supporting that team through thick and thin. My point is, it's it's outward here, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and and it always is. Like they've had this run in recent years of unparalleled
1: success and they're winning all these titles and and that was all well and good but the point is the 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 support that this team has in the bay area is is just unwavering they care they care deeply about this team uh and and it is it's something that we still don't know how it's going to translate completely because those games in oracle i i mean look There's no better place to watch a game that matters when everybody's into it than the United Center, to me. And I've seen games literally everywhere. When there is a big game at the UC and everybody's into it, that's the place to be. But on a day to day basis, uh, on a, you know, it's game 47 against the Pacers, Oracle was the most fun place to be because it was always revved up and people were into it the shift to chase is something that a lot of people have talked about. And I still don't think we fully understand how it's going to be because Steph got hurt in like game four and it just changed the dynamic on the entire city uh, and, and the entire season, frankly. So uh, when
2: Steph and Clay and Draymond are all healthy and, and fans are able to come back in the stands again,
1: whenever that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what that atmosphere is like. But, but to your point and to the question, the, the fan base here is gigantic and they care. And that is not something uh, that you see across the league, across the country, for a lot of
0: teams. So, yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's saying a mouthful, that's for sure. So, that means that out of like 10 sports fans, sounds like eight or nine of them are wearing the city t shirts, <laughs> not Raiders and 49ers gear
1: the 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 niners and raiders are definitely big out here
2: mm-hmm. but when when the warriors are on and even
1: when they're not the the amount of warriors gear that you see uh, it, it, it it's funny because you see a ton of bulls gear still in chicago sure and in my travels uh, when i've been lucky enough to get out of the country hood you see bulls gear and you see Yankees gear, and, and you see a little Lakers gear all over the world. What you see more across the country, uh, at least stateside, is Warriors gear. And it's not just in the Bay. You start going to different places. and I mean, Steph, Steph, <laughs> in so many ways, it reminds me of, of the MJ uh, part of this. And I'm not saying Steph is Jordan. No, there's only one Michael. My point is, Steph made the logo, the brand, cool. He made it cool. And people want to wear what they feel is cool and what, what represents to them uh, what, what Steph Curry is and what he's become. So uh, the, the impact that he has had on this organization for years and years to come, that will be similar to what we've seen uh, from Michael over the years for the Bulls.
0: Well, I'm glad you spent some time, my friend. And uh, there's a hole in the NBA schedule without the Golden State Warriors and, you know, the histrionics and all of the um, pyro and ballyhoo that are the Golden State Warriors with clay and stuff. It's it's a different NBA without them. That's why it'll be interesting to see the next few years, them get healthy and see if they can get back into the mix again, because they uh, they developed a real interesting culture for the league.
1: Uh, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> so uh. I'm with you. It's, it's the most intriguing wrinkle to me about whenever next season comes to be. Because, uh, you know, we start this conversation you, talking about Jimmy Butler and how he gets motivated. But also, anytime Jimmy says, oh, we don't pay attention to what," that's ridiculous. It, <laughs> it always has been. I say that because the Warriors have listened for a year now saying, oh, it's over. The dynasty is done, they're not going to win again, they're older, Steph's hurt, Clay's hurt, those guys have all listened to all that stuff, and they badly want to prove that that's not the case, that they can win without KD, that they can win as they all get into their 30s, that they can still come out on top, so that motivation is going to be really fascinating as a storyline moving forward.
0: That was fun. Just call a friend, talk NBA, and there he is, Nick Friedel from San Francisco. All right. If you listen on Saturdays, check out Chicago's college tailgate. As so I finish up my prep here for the show, as I record that this this morning, and um, don't forget Cap and J Hood. Mornings between seven and ten Central Time on ESPN One Thousand, the ESPN Chicago app. I'll put the link right there in the description. Good to spend time with you here on a Saturday, as I mentioned. Happy for the White Sox. Looking forward to seeing what the Bears do this weekend against the uh, the Giants. And I'm watching the NBA playoffs, as you just heard. Really good info from Nick when it comes to uh, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy was once a bull, and now he's on the precipice of getting to the NBA Finals. If they can get past a Boston Celtics team that was arguing with each other, cussing each other out, throwing things at each other in the locker room after game two, it was crazy. Crazy, man. All right. Thanks so much, as always, for checking in. We'll do this again next Saturday. Subscribe to the podcast that way you never miss an episode of Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.